God's given us uh, a whole host of words which we can use to express some of these emotions. And those words are in the Psalms. They're there for us. And uh, what I'd like you to do now is I'd like you to bring a word from the Psalms. The challenge to the New Testament church was to bring psalms and hymns and spiritual songs which would encourage each other. So I'd like you to share those in encouragement with the congregation. Yeah. This is Psalm 98. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. 4610. from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. This is great. If there's been a word so far which has really caught your imagination, your emotion, just hold on to it as we bring more. Keep me safe, my God, for you, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. That's Psalm 16. Just the first verse from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 13, how long will you forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long shall I be sorrowful? How long? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Light my eyes. In case my enemies say I've prevailed against him and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. 
With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Psalm 33 says, We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And in my heart's rejoice, we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Psalm 96 says, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. From Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Psalm 100 says, Acknowledge the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Psalm 34, verse uh, 17 says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is quite brokenhearted. He rescues them whose spirits are crushed. took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me.
Just as we come now and bring our gifts to you, we're bringing something for you to use, you to take, you to multiply, you to do something with, Lord God. So we bring our offerings to you now. We said um, we'll do things slightly differently this morning, and uh, we're going to go straight into uh, the Word of God. Just not as tall as Simon. Well, thank you for um, taking part in the uh, the part that Steve led, where we were encouraged to to look through the Psalms just to allow the Word of God to inspire us and then to speak it out. It's amazing how encouraging it is when we hear uh, one another speak out the Word of God. And it might be a Psalm that's very special to you, something that's got you through a difficult storm or a word that that just encourages you to 
to just take some action to be still or, or to praise or to give glory. It's just great that we can do that this morning. We um, are exploring uh, over the next five months uh, what it means to worship, okay, what it means to worship. Now, often we do a series uh, and we, we, we do it weekly. This one we're doing monthly and this uh, is, uh, the res- has, comes with a resource pack which we're going to use, uh, which we've kind of been using today. So it's got the clips, it's got all the, all the stuff we need and um, it's filled with lots of great ideas and I'm hoping... I'm not hoping, we are going to share that, okay? So it's not all uh, upfront stuff. It will be fed out to some of you guys to lead some of the sections that are in the book. So don't panic. We'll give you things that we think you're capable of doing. We believe in you. Uh, So uh, be prepared for me to come waving a piece of paper under your nose and saying, can you lead this? Can you have a go at doing this? Will you lead this activity? Will you lead this prayer time? Will you lead this worship time? So uh, I'll have a go at that. Okay, so this morning we are looking at Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. Just a very short two verses, very familiar to some of you. Some of you may be hearing it for the very first time. And I'm going to read it from the New Living translation so it's slightly different than perhaps some of us are used to Romans 12 just verses 1 and 2 and in the New Living Translation it's entitled a living sacrifice to God and it says this and so dear brothers and sisters I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This truly, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our worship, our offering of worship to God can look remarkably ordinary. Sometimes the Apostle Paul doesn't say what we might have expected. In fact, sometimes he says the totally unexpected. For 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he has explored all that God has done to rescue a world that has rebelled against his designs and desires. He knows that this is the good news, the gospel, and that once we embrace the gospel, we will want to worship. So far, so expected. But for a group of people who think they know what worship looks like, Paul's words are surprising. Let's remember Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Rome, the very centre of Greek culture. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. The church, the Jewish church, or sorry, the Jews in the church of Rome had their own history of worshipping with temples and offerings 
and sacrifices. And the Gentiles too had their own temples, their own offerings and their own sacrifices. And in those cultures, sacrifices usually involved death. Something usually died when there was a sacrifice. Oh, someone's turned the hoover off. <sighs> Something usually died when there was a sacrifice. Usually an animal, and sometimes in some cultures, humans. Human sacrifice. And Paul's message to both groups is that worship is so much more. It involves our living bodies. That's the bit that would have shocked. Because living bodies are not perfect. They tend to be misshapen, badly used, worn out. They are, not to put too fine upon it, too ordinary. But that's what Paul thinks worship is all about. So what is worship? So we're going to explore that over the next few months, just taking one Sunday a month, usually at the end of the month, to explore what worship is. Because often we just think worship is about this. Sitting in rows having a band lead us in some songs, saying a few prayers. We can limit that to just worship. Even in our culture, we say, oh, it's time to worship. What does that mean? Oh, we're going to worship now. What? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul doesn't say it's all about the songs you sing, it's all about the words you read, it's all about the time that you gather. Yes, worship is included in that but that isn't the soul that just limits worship to just one thing or just a few things Paul's message is about us using our living bodies to worship God that's the bit that would have shocked living bodies are not perfect I'm going to read verse 1 again from Romans chapter 12 in a more familiar version than that some of us are used to. And he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the first thing I want to say today is that worship is a response to God's mercy. Worship is a response to God's mercy. What does that mean? Some of us are not familiar with the word mercy. Well, the word mercy in this context means God's compassion, his kindness, his love. <clears throat> I think I've told you before, I used to work as a store detective. I used to uh, work, stroll around John Lewis looking for people who are a little bit light-fingered. Uh, or I'd, look, I'd watch on CCTV people who were helping themselves to things that didn't belong to them and not paying for them. Well, one day we caught uh, a young Asian boy. He must have been about, I don't know, it might be Blanchard's age. What are you, about 13, 12, 13-ish? It's about Blanchard's age. 
and uh, I can't even remember what it, what it was that he'd stolen, but we'd, we'd, our procedure was to take them uh, back to an interview room where they would be interviewed by one of the store managers, and we'd stand there watching God, just in case he tried to escape. And uh, this young boy, there was just something about him. Uh, I don't know whether he'd been set up, whether he'd been instructed to go in and, go in and steal something for somebody else, or whether it was just he, he, he wanted his own thing. But I'll never forget him because he just kept saying, um, I beg you for mercy. I beg you for mercy. I'll kiss your feet. I'll kiss your feet. And, and he just went on like that. He was so wanting us to let him off that he would have done anything and, and that's all he kept saying I beg you for mercy I beg you for mercy I'll kiss your feet I'll kiss your feet and I think if we'd have given in I think he would have genuinely kissed our feet I think because of the likely wrath of the boy's father that he begged us to let him go pleaded with us to show some kindness, to let him off the hook. But of course we couldn't. He'd broken the law. Justice had to be served. We had to call the police, who then would have to call his parents. He was a minor. He wouldn't go to jail for such a small offence, but there would be punishment. And we didn't know what that punishment meant for that boy once he got home. That's the opposite to mercy, isn't it? Punishment. Wrath. Julie bought me this this morning. Uh, I think she bought it because of the auction. But you can imagine, can't you? It's a, it's a gavel for a, for a judge who would, would bang, you know, bang his desk and guilty as charged. But God doesn't do that. Even though we are guilty, he shows compassion and kindness not because we deserve it, but because he is love. That's the mercy of God. God doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. He runs to us with open arms, wanting to embrace us as a father does to his children. So even though humanity has turned its back on the father and gone its own way, and does its own detestable things. Our holy, just and righteous God, who cannot ignore sin, chose a method to deal with the sin of the entire world once and for all. Jesus Christ. God in the flesh came down from heaven and walked among us lived that sinless life, took the punishment that we deserved and died on a criminal's cross so that we could be set free. God showed us mercy where we deserved punishment. So we bring God's compassion towards us into sharp focus. We clearly see what has been achieved by Christ's sacrifice for us. You know, mercy is displayed throughout Scripture. And, you know, Paul harps on about it for those 11 chapters, right up to to chapter 12. He talks about God's faithfulness to his people. 
that he never turns his back on his people, even though his people constantly turn away from God. God remembers his covenant. He remembers his promise and he is faithful to his people. He shows his mercy by allowing us to be justified by grace, by faith and not by keeping law. He shows his mercy by burying our sin, hiding our sin, taking our sin away and giving us eternal life. He shows his mercy by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He shows his mercy by calling us his chosen people. You belong to God. You are his. He shows his mercy by saving us from judgment and wrath. If you think of uh, <clears throat> the, the, the times where Jesus walked, the times he showed mercy to people, those who came to him begging for healing or begging for healing on behalf of somebody else, or that woman caught in adultery where he didn't condemn her but set her free. He said, go and sin no more, but he did not condemn her. He showed mercy. Or the time that he reaches out his hands to touch the unclean lepers and brings healing. He shows and demonstrates mercy. Or to the, the bereaved whose relatives have died, Jesus shows mercy by bringing them back to life and restoring them, restoring their dignity, restoring their future. Paul has spent 11 chapters in Romans exploring God's mercy, what God's mercy has done for us. Once you see that God is the source of all life and that he has done so much to bring salvation to everyone, there is so much to give thanks for. In fact, Paul has said that one of the marks of the pagan world, the, those that don't really give glory to God, is that they do not give thanks to God for all they have. Romans chapter 1 verses 20 to 21 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile futile and their hearts foolish sorry and their foolish hearts were darkened so they saw God they saw what God had done but they did but they were not grateful they were not thankful to him what are you thankful for this morning what is it God uh, has put in your heart you know worship focuses our thankful hearts we're thankful for God's mercy upon us <coughs> second thing i want to say this morning is this worship involves our everyday ordinary life our everyday ordinary life not just about a sunday morning romans 12 1 in the message says this so here's what i want you to do god helping you take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping eating going to work 
and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Worship is not just an inward, private, spiritual activity. It involves every aspect of our lives. So it has to be seen as more than an hour on a Sunday. Our worship should have no sacred, secular divide. Do you ever think about that, that you, when you go to sleep at night that you're worshipping God? Or when you're eating a meal, that's all part of your worship. Or when you're walking to work, that's part of bringing glory to God. We're called to worship God in our homes, on our streets, in our workplaces, in our schools. We're called, yeah, we're called to worship. We can worship through our attitudes, our finances, our politics and our leisure. Doing the washing up, is that worship? Well, it can be in the right attitude. Vacuuming the lounge, driving the car, walking the kids to school, creating a budget spreadsheet. That's all part of our worship. Fixing a leaking tap, reading a book, making a cup of tea, eating a sandwich, caring for the sick and dying, walking the dog. In all of these things, God is looking for us to give him glory, to give him thanks. Even in the mundane All these things and more can be done in God's presence, in God's ways and for God's glory. Often on a Thursday, when I get to Thursday, I have, Mon I have Monday's my day off. Tuesday morning's usually busy because we've got coffee, cake and chat or there'll be some other meetings going on and uh, you kind of hit the ground running. Uh, Wednesdays are kind of a bitty day. So the time I get to Thursday, I kind of, want, I kind of need to just land and get going and start sorting things out for the week, start preparing a sermon, start getting on with stuff. And uh, it's not long before the bell rings downstairs at the centre and, and you're interrupted. <clears throat> and, and I used to find that really frustrating. Oh, I just want to get on. And I think God has been working on me because it's become a joy now when the bell rings to find out who's there. And often it will be some of our volunteers that are, are coming in to give their time to help us. And I've, I've, I've turned the frustration into joy. Joy of making drinks for the volunteers. Leaving the busyness to serve others can be frustrating. But in the right attitude of worship, it brings pleasure to God. Spooning coffee into a cup, adding sugar and the hot water and the milk, stirring it and offering it to somebody is all part of our worship. It, it puts a smile on God's face when we do the simple things. The way you stack tins in the food bank cupboard or you put away your own shopping in your kitchen. The way you speak to callers on the phone who are calling you again to know if, you want, if you've uh, ever bought PPI. The way that you listen, I, I'm convicted by that. <laughs> I'm not always polite. But that is part of worship. It's part of an attitude of worship. The way you listen to a fearful or frustrated friend. The way you get out of bed in the morning 
on time and make breakfast for your family. It can be a frustrating time, can't it? They're late. They've got to get up. Got to get them to school. Got to get to work. Got got things to do. Got a house to clear up. The way we do that is worship. Where you give thanks for a meal you're about to eat or the way that you've survived another day at that toxic office environment. David Peterson in his book Engaging with God says this, worship is a subject that should dominate our lives seven days a week. Worship involves our everyday, ordinary life. When you're out for a walk amongst God's creation, you can turn that to praise and thanks, can't you? Just ordinary things. The third and final point is this. Worship is a decision to be shaped in a particular way. Worship is a decision to be shaped in a particular way. Paul links our worship with changing the way we think. The way we think. He knows that Rome has a certain way of doing things, but he knows that a follower of Jesus will no longer necessarily conform to Rome's way because he or she sees them through God's eyes. And that, as that change in perspective shapes and changes us, as we see the world differently, we begin to discover even more deeply what God's will is for our lives. We discover that we want that he, we discover what he wants for us in the ordinary places in which we live, which we find ourselves. Romans 2 verse 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God's will is perfect, pleasing and good. How do we know that? How do we know what God's will is? Well, we need to have our mind transformed, don't we? Because we are shaped by the world. We don't live in Rome, we live in Peterborough. And Peterborough shapes us. It does. The world we live in shapes us. All you have to do is get up in the morning and you are being shaped. Whether you're watching TV, browsing the internet, scrolling through social media, hanging around with different people, going shopping, flicking through a magazine, reading a newspaper, these things shape your thoughts and attitudes. They do. When I was younger, I was a little bit naive. Because I I looked in this men's magazine, and it was all about men's health, and uh, it was promoting uh, facial products. I was a little bit vain. And uh, it did this review of all these different products for men. So there was, a, there was some kind of facial scrub, uh, and then there was um, some kind of shaving foam or something, or gel, and then there was some kind of moisturiser, and it was in this kind of posh magazine, and they did the review, and they, it was kind of like, this one's the top ten, this, this one's best, this one's best. And so I thought, oh, that sounds good. I'll buy those. Of course, they were like top of the range. They were Ralph Lauren, and they were Clinique, and it was... And I ended up spending a fortune just on, like, four products for my face. 
I, and I, I suddenly realised, how did I get there? How did I spend that much? It must have been a forty. It was like fifty, sixty quid on facial products for my face. How did I make the jump to get there? It's because I was my thinking had been shaped by that magazine that was wanting me to sell to buy those products. And we do this time and time again. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our preferences are shaped by the world we live in, aren't they? Your attitude towards Brexit is shaped by what everybody else is telling you. It is. But what if we put on a new pair of glasses that helped you to see things from God's perspective, from a different way? God-shaped spectacles. Instead of complaining about the council, you gave thanks for the good things they do and prayed for those in authority. Instead of moaning about what you don't have, you praise God for what you have got. Instead of making judgments about different people, you begin to thank God that he has created people individually, unique in his image. Is it impossible for us to change how we think, how we think about our husband, how we think about gender issues, how we think about money, how we think about the government? Of course it is. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? It's through worship. It's about putting Jesus first. It's about living for him. It's not conforming to the world, or the world's way of doing things, but seeking to do God's will. That's worship. When we, do, when we step in line with what God wants us to do. Here's a quote for you. It's by a guy called John Risbridger from his book, The Message of Worship. Biblical worship is a response to God's revelation of himself, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which finds, its, finds expression in every aspect of human life and experience. I'll just say that again. Biblical worship is a response to God's revelation of himself. Knowing God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, and it then finds expression in every aspect of human experience. Let's read Romans one, uh, Romans twelve one and two again. It says this: Therefore, in view, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Amen. Amen.
what Dave's been speaking about is, um, I think, one of the chapters in the Bible that has been important to me for as long as I can remember. And um, what we're going to do now is to be able to have a time where we think, how does this relate to us? Because it's great to hear great teaching, and we know the Word of God has real power, but it has real power when we put it into action. And um, we're going to, we've got kind of, we've got, we're, we're being visual here, and this is part where everybody needs to take part. Because we want to be able to give something to God. And so what we're going to do is in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to be quiet and to just listen to God. Kids' church should be really good at doing this because we do this a lot. Um, and then after we've had a little time to listen to God, because we'll, I want you to ask God, okay, what is it this week that you want me to offer as a living sacrifice? Dave's talked about some of the ideas um, when he was speaking. I could tell you some of the things that were going on in my mind when I was speaking. But actually, what you need to know is what God is challenging you to offer as your living sacrifice this week. So what we're going to do, we're going to ask God to speak. And then after a little while, I'm going to ask you to come up and there's pens and there's post-it notes. And I want you to write down on those post-it notes what God has said to you. And then we're going to put it in our nice box here. The reason we've got a nice box is because we're giving something to God. It's like we're, we're making this commitment that this week I'm going to particularly work on this thing that you said us as, as, so I become that living sacrifice. And it's like a present that we're going to give to God. So then I think we've got, the band have got a song and then we're going to pray over those things um, as, as just a, a round-up commitment to what we're giving to God um, for this coming week, but also ongoing. So this is the opportunity. We always say to kids in kids' church, when we're going to listen to God, find a comfortable place. Now, for, if that's sitting down, that's fine. We really recommend that people close their eyes simply because it's so easy to get distracted by what is going on around you if you don't. And then just say to God, what is it this week that you want me to offer as a living sacrifice? If you already know that God has said something to you, um, feel free to come up and uh, 
tape pen and post-it note. And then when you've written it down, bring it back and put it in the box. If you still need to spend some time listening to God, that's great as well.